Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. Welcome. You're listening to Love Life. I'm Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. And we're doing a great topic today. If you've been listening to our podcast show in order, you'll find this flows on beautifully from what we spoke about last week, which was post-separation um, issues, because today we're talking about when you're back in the field, are you undateable? What does that mean, Jane? <laughs> this is one of my favourite topics. And I've just actually written a big chapter on this in my next book. It is people who have such rigid criteria of what they are searching for in a partner that they actually are unable to find anybody that fits that criteria to get a date. So they actually are undateable. How common is this, Jane? Massive. It's so pandemic. It's sad, actually. Look, I think, you know, you know, I love my little amateur unproven theories. My theory here is that it's a bit to do with, I think, women's lips, and it's got a bit to do with empowering women or empowering female children to grow with a massive sense of self-worth, you know, and it's something that was so important, particularly through, you know, the, the 70s and 80s. It was a, a big thing to teach our our girls to believe in themselves and that they can do and be anything and that they are an equal to men. And so we had to have this movement occur and it's been so important. However, it's a very fine line between what do you desire in life and what do you deserve? And I find that the list data, the girl with, and it's often girls, although having said that, to be fair, there are guys, absolutely, that has this massive long list of what they're requiring in a partner, has it because they deserve it. And I like to think of this as being a little bit of an unearned sense of entitlement. And so people come to me with, you know, I've been such a great, I'm such a great person, I deserve all of this in my life instead of I desire it. But where I like to bring in the conscious awareness of this is let's do the maths. Let's get this back to is it possible? So forget my personal opinion. Let's put the proof on the table of are you dateable? So we have a room full of people that are all lovely and single. Stand up everybody who is between a certain age and they're genuine and they're desiring a relationship and, you know, they tick a few boxes. They might have a, a nice job or career or a little bit of self-independence, etc. We've got a 100 men standing up that are all within the right age range for this particular lady. And now we're going to hit her list of criteria. Must be over six foot tall. Sit down if you're not six foot tall. So we now only have 15 men standing because roughly 15% of the Caucasian population are over six foot tall. Now, must be university educated. Now, I'm not sure what the statistics are here, but I'm going to take a guess that maybe about, what should we generously say, 10%. So we've now got one and a half men left standing. Now, sit down if you want to have, if you don't want to have children, because her third thing on the list is she wants children. So we've probably now got only one man left standing out of 100. And that's only the top three on her list. We haven't even looked at the four typed pages that she's got. Are you kind? Are you fun? Are you an alpha male? Are you a, a good income provider? Do you have a close relationship with your family? Are you a good dresser? Can I go and enjoy going to the football with you in jeans, but can I do black tie with you as well? Do you like water sports? Must enjoy 
supporting me in my inner journey. Must be spiritual, must have yoga in their lives, must meditate on a daily basis, must, 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 must. So this girl has now got only one guy standing for her to potentially date just on her top three list of criteria. Do they even like each other? You know? There's just so much to say here. I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) I know. I know. It's such a big thing. So I like to start with the map because if you're wanting to date, if you're wanting to meet some nice people and get out there and date and start to explore who might be an ideal partner for you, then you need to be able to get the dates. Now, if this girl said, okay, I get that she likes tall. Tall can energetically feel really lovely. However, what if she dropped that to five foot ten? You know, this girl's probably, usually those that are six foot or taller are usually under 5'5", five five, which I always find amusing. So, and the tall girls always say, can the short girls please leave the tall girl, girl, guys for us tall girls? <laughs> so let's say she drops her criteria to 5'9", five 5'10". Foot, five foot foot if she says 5'10", we've probably now got 30 guys standing instead of 15. Or maybe even 40 or 50 guys. If she said 5'9", or taller, we've probably got 60 or 70 guys still standing in the room. Now, if she says, instead of university educated, if she says intelligent, because, you know, intelligence comes in all forms. And in fact, some of the smartest people I have ever met in my life that have blown me away have had street smarts. So let's say... Ex-Prime Minister Paul Keating only completed year nine of high school. (laughs) Isn't that fabulous? I love it. I love it. And so sit down if you're not intelligent. So if we've now got 60 guys that are standing that are five foot nine or taller, we're probably going to have a fair slab of those guys. They're educated. You know, now whether they are formally educated or self-educated is irrelevant. But if they are educated, intelligent people, we've probably got 40 or 50 guys standing. Now, the sit point down if- that you're making, Jane, is it's how you make the list. Is that where you, you get that? That's it. It's, it's what's negotiable and what's not negotiable. So people are selecting on things that are negotiable. You know, it's quite fascinating. A couple of years ago, I did a massive statistical analysis on our database of all of the people that we actually had paired up and they'd sailed off into the sunset into long-term relationships. And I looked at what was it that they asked for that they desired in a partner when I first met them compared with who did they end up with. Now, bearing in mind, this is only my perception, all right, and we all create our own realities. We all see difference in each other. However, I found it fascinating that over 90% of people, in my perception, ended up with somebody that was different from what they had originally been looking for. So I took from that that often we actually really don't know who is a good, healthy choice for us in a partner. So we might have some dream list. And a typical typical dream list of what I call the princess syndrome, which goes hand in hand with the list data, is, you know, they'll want the social connection of someone like Prince Charles. They'll want the good looks of Brad Pitt. They'll want the financial um, money support of somebody like Donald Trump, you know, and the sexiness of George Clooney. And that, that person, if he exists, is going to want the blend of Angelina Jolie, um, Princess uh, Kate, somebody that's mega rich, somebody that's wise, Oprah, you know, that they're just not going to want to be dating the girl next door or the boy next door. So it's about really looking at what is it that's going to make you happy. And I can normally get somebody's list down to two or three what I call not negotiables. Now, for this girl, she wanted to have children. That's a not negotiable. Don't bother dating somebody that doesn't want to have children. It's a waste of time. So that's her first not negotiable. 
Then it is, how is this person going to make you feel? So we really want to look at that. Now, for me, when I was doing this exercise, when I was single in my 30s and I'd been every girl, I'd been the list dater, I'd been the people pleaser, I'd been the princess, I'd been everything, I actually realized that I wanted somebody that was truly kind. Now, that was just unique to me, but it was I don't do cruelty very well. Other people will find certain things that are cruel as funny. You know, I don't do sarcasm very well. So I wanted somebody really kind. And my third not negotiable was I wanted somebody that was confident, but I wasn't interested in the external extroverted confidence. I wanted that true sense of inner self-worth that was unshakable. I didn't want somebody that I had to prop up all the time. And then once I identified my three not negotiables, that's who I went out and dated, however they presented. And if I was enjoying a date and it went well, then I would have a second date with that person. And you keep going and your door gets wide open. So you start to then experience heartfelt connections with qualities that matter. Is that making sense? It is. So I'm actually now want to blow this out even wider because I'm thinking about the way people even approach their lives, their careers, you know, anything that they kind of want to go out and get. And because we're such a micromanaged, itinerized, detailed sort of a society, like we're control freaks in the Western world, we have to control everything. We have to control when babies are born. We have to control that five spare minutes we have between, you know, 4.45 and 4.50 p.m. You know what I'm saying? So yes. it comes to plotting out major things that go into the unknown future, like who you're going to marry or what you're going to do for your life purpose. We tend to want to grab control, and I think that list-making is such a sign of people who just feel so flailingly out of control. It's like we're trying to find order in all this chaos, so we're trying to plot it out. But the problem is we can't know, and the beauty and the mystery of the universe is not knowing. It's in deeper energies of trusting and believing. When, you, when you're holding the right intention, and whether you want to term that as your non-negotiables or however you want to word it, but if you, you hold some general concepts, or emotions that you're kind of aiming for, let the details take care of themselves. Now, I'm not saying lie back on a couch and just sort of say to the universe, find me a great job or a great partner and do nothing. It's, it's not that end of the spectrum either, but it's finding the right balance between having to control freak micromanage every single detail of how something is going to be delivered to you or how it's going to plot out in your life and part of, and just finding that balance of letting go and saying to the universe, you know what? You put together the pieces of this puzzle the bigger picture for me I'm going to surrender and go with the flow and trust that what I need will be delivered in just the right order at just the right time in a way that's right for me in a way that perhaps I can't see or know right now with the information I've got I love that that is perfect I will always say step out of the way of what you think is going to make you happy and I just think that's absolutely perfect. And it ta- it brings the magic back. It brings the fun back. And it just ta- gets rid of all the seriousness. But the self-sabotaging behavior that goes on when people have their lists and their rules and they're inflexible on these, the opportunities that are lost to them is incredible. And I actually truly believe that we can have rich, deep, loving relationships with hundreds, if not thousands, of different people. And in fact, I was coaching a guy last week, a lovely guy, and, uh, you know, he ticks lots of boxes. He's actually very open, and I, I guess to do a sweeping generalization, I find that men are actually often easier to please in what they're looking for in a partner than a woman, 
Now, that's a generalization, but it's one that I witnessed a lot. And, uh, and I said to him, you know, he'd been to about 20 of our dinners. We organize these dinners for three ladies and three men to meet. It's all very organic and nice. And they're hand selected. So over a period of time, he's met roughly about 60 ladies. And I said, without any doubt at all, I believe you have met somebody who could have been your future partner and you could have had a rich, loving, healthy relationship with. And he went, what? And I said, yes, but you just aren't looking with clear, open eyes. You're not giving people a chance. You're judging inaccurately. You're making inaccurate assumptions. And this is where when we're micromanaging, we are constantly protecting ourselves from our fear of what if I make a mistake? What if this goes wrong? What if I get hurt again? And so I've got it worked out. I know what's perfect for me, but he or she doesn't exist in this form. So they're missing out on opportunities. Now, it's interesting. I haven't actually studied a lot about this, but I have read a few articles from mathematicians that say that apparently if you are being presented in the right ballpark, with the right types of people, it should only take 18 people for you to find a partner. Wow. I know. Now, that's apparently why those shows like, you know, uh, what is it, The Bachelor or uh, all those dating shows, they will often have 18 people there because they know that statistically there's going to be a match-up in there. And often and it seems to be two or three. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true too. That's true. Now, of course, there's so many other things that go into it, but I do truly believe that, you know, at Social 8, I think by the time someone's gone to 20 dinners, they absolutely could have been in a loving relationship if they were in the right headspace, if they had the right attitude, the right, you know, vibration for the attraction to come into their life and for them to have their eyes wide open. So So, dateability. (laughs) You can pick them 20 20 dinners in, undateable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what I want to help people to do is instead of giving you the label of being you're now undateable, I want to help you to open your door as wide as possible so the maximum number of opportunities can come to your way while still intuitively using healthy boundaries um, to to filter who you connect with on a deeper, richer level. But you want to let people in that door. You know, some people have the door so closed that it's this tiny crack that virtually nobody can get through. Now, I want to talk about this because yes, yes, yes. So this idea that how much we shoot ourselves in our own foot when we box ourselves in too narrow according to what we think is fair. Sometimes we just got to get over ourselves and realize we can't <laughs> even know what's best. For us. That's right. We often don't know everything. You know, we've got to surrender some of this stuff to the universe. Now, this ties into something I was actually talking about um, on radio just the other week about pattern interrupts because it's really similar. It's this idea that if you get stuck in a certain pattern, behavior, ritual, belief, relationship, or whatever you are in your life that you're just kind of defaulting back to or you're on a stuck record, the idea of a pattern interrupt is that. You come in and you break it up so you do something radically different to shake you out of what, what you've been stuck in. So let's take, for example, the form of somebody who, oh, Dr. Phil talked about this. Dr. Phil said every day he was coming home from work and going through the front door, going straight to the fridge and eating something that wasn't so healthy for him. So what was his pattern interrupt? He came in the back door. It changed everything. Okay. Another example might be people who are such creatures of habit and they're so in their comfort zones which is a really unhealthy and limiting way to live your whole life because you miss so much when you only ever see the same people, do the same safe things, take the same road home every single day from the office in the car. 
So maybe tomorrow you do the smallest thing. Like in a shop, you make a different choice for what you're buying at the checkout or at dinner, you order something you'd never normally order. Or when you are driving home down that main road, take a back street. And, you know, this is almost like a metaphor, Jane. Let's imagine some of these undateable people. So so they're going in a room, they're scanning the room. Okay, no, 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 no. None of them fit the box. None of them are six foot. None of them have got brown hair. None of them are whatever it is. Um, it's this idea that you've got to stop yourself. You've got to take a deep breath and you've got to backpedal and say, how about I go into tonight's dinner or tonight's social event with this idea of I'm open, I'm ready, and I'm prepared to be surprised. I'm open to miracles. I love that. That's perfect. One of my favorite mantras that I like to give our members is to say that uh, I am looking forward to having great fun connecting with interesting people. And that is it. If you've got fun connecting and interesting happening, the rest is going to take care of itself. And another thing I'm a fan of saying is suggesting to people, date practice on the people that you're not interested in in, in any way because you've actually then not invested in vulnerability of their validation of you back. So, so you like can just practice dating. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Can that practice, be hurtful or harmful to the other person if they think that they're more committed than maybe you are? Can you talk about this a bit more, Jane? Okay, so it's really about just saying, you know what, I really enjoyed meeting you. I'm not defining it as even a date. I'm not defining it as anything except I enjoyed meeting you. Let's go spend another bit of time together. Let's go have a lunch or a coffee or a dinner or whatever. And so it's just spending a bit of time getting to know someone. It's not leading them on. I think this is mature dating 2012 style, you know. I just massive into outcomes, aren't we? Like, you know, goals and objectives and hitting the bar and what are we going to achieve and are we wasting our time? That Sometimes we don't just take this playful attitude to life, you know. Um, people talk about job interview. Oh, I went to this job interview and I didn't get it. But it's the same thing, isn't it? It's, you know what? It was a great experience. It's warming you up for the next one. It's just good practice. It doesn't have to be the be-all and end-all every single time. That's right, absolutely. And, you know, I just realized I said 2012 and here we are in 2013. I've got to get that habit happening. But, you know, it's interesting that people get out of the – they they stop the magic from happening. They stop the unexpected. And so often I know that everyone listening to this would know somebody who has said, you know what, I've just met the most amazing girl or guy. They, He or she is not at all my normal type, but, wow, they're fantastic. And that's what you were talking about, you know, doing something different to get a different result. And I get so excited when I hear people say, wow, I really enjoyed meeting so-and-so. I'd love to swap phone numbers with them. Not at all my type, but really looking forward to catching up with them. And that's when I think they're about to step into something really great. Now, Jane, I've got a girlfriend who, for the longest time, uh, we're talking until she was almost 30, and she's, she's not gay, but she's never had a boyfriend. And, you know, her excuse would be, oh, I'm very, very picky. I'm just very picky. And, again, I'm seeing a similarity there with the whole the undateable person thing, as in this goes back to what you said earlier about protective walls because, actually, there's something deeper going on here sometimes. When somebody, oh, none of them are right or none of them are good enough for me or none of them meet yet what I deserve, as you phrased it, there's actually something deeper going on about I'm scared. That's it. And there's perhaps I've had pain before and it's safer for me to seem like I've tried but nothing's working. So the, the world thinks that I'm trying. It's not my fault. It's not my problem. It's their, it's their fault. You know, and there's no one out there good enough for me. What's going on emotionally and psychologically there, Jane? Okay, well, they're very much in the victim story, so they're living below the line. As you say, it's not my fault, it's everybody else's fault. But it is always 
fear. It is always fear that we are protecting. So I would suggest, and I have met quite a few uh, different ladies over the years, or actually men as well, people who have uh, hit in their 30s and not had a relationship. Um, many of them are also virgins. And with that in our society comes a lot of um, shame, exactly. which is so sad. It's, you know, really shameful. And they just almost give up and want to get rid of it, you know, like just, just let's just not have this happen. But it is also can be from people that have been uh, children of parents that have not had, like it could be an abusive marriage that they've witnessed. It could be their fear of, so they may not have experienced emotional pain themselves in any kind of relationship. It could be that they've witnessed it in people that they love. So it would often be in that scenario a bit of a trip down inner child journey down to heal your path through your upbringing. Um, the best thing that I can encourage people to do in that scenario is to try and own that you are protecting yourself from being hurt, that there are no guarantees in life, that none of us know what tomorrow is going to hold and to just take baby gentle steps to, as you said, break the pattern, try something different, do gentle steps to get out there and talk to somebody new, start to gather new evidence that the world out there is a beautiful place instead of the world out there being full of people that want to get me. Now, or want to hurt me. I personally find this whole, when we go back to mum and dad and inner child stuff, really fascinating because there's no doubt, you know the old thing, they say girls always marry their father and guys look for someone who's like their <laughs> mum. And, of course, people will swear black and blue that's not the case. Ugh, yuck, why would I want someone like my mother or whatever? But it is, like, in a deeper way. Um, and so, you know, I think probably very much what you've seen at home role model with mum and dad, yeah, were they emotionally warm people? Were they openly, physically affectionate people? Did they fight all the time? Did they communicate well or not? Um, you know, was there a lot of pain in the household? You know, all this sort of stuff, I think, very, very much programs us when we go out into the world and begin looking for our, what we think our ideal match should be or our interpretation of love and romance. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that if we look at, you know, relationships, I'm going to do a sweeping statement here. Here we go. Clanger coming up. If we look, it really was only, you know, 60 or 70 years ago that a lot of relationships, well, yes, there were certainly plenty of relationships that were formed through genuine love for one another, but there were a lot of relationships that were convenience, where there was boy meets girl and they thought they were kind of okay but you know they were at the age where it's time to get married and he and she they want to have babies and she wants to be provided for he's got the job he's going to put the roof over his her head and provide her with food and so those people of only 60 or 70 years ago were in quite often what appeared to be loveless relationships they were functioning, respectful perhaps relationships, that there was no great love, there was no great passion, it was a working relationship. And from that, those children of those marriages are now sort of in their 40s or 50s and perhaps their marriages are broken down and that's the kind of clientele that I often meet as well who really do not have any idea of what a healthy relationship really, a rich, loving, exciting relationship really looks like. So it is about gathering some new evidence and role models. I was going to ask how does Hollywood and media then also add to that equation? How do you feel that that, you know, impacts on people's idea, perceived ideas of what we should have or should be? Yeah, not real good. And I think the Stepford Wives have got a lot to answer for. <laughs> but I also think, you know, yeah, so Hollywood absolutely has impacted with ridiculous romantic fairy tales. 
However, we are starting to see a lot more really good movies being made where they are exploring relationships with much richer depth that can show what is normal, you know, and normal is such a big wide range. But what I do is instead of looking to Hollywood, look to friends and parents of friends Look around your network. You've probably only looked at your immediate family and your immediate friends. Take a step wider and really try to find a good role model of couples that uh, you know are working well together and start to believe in it. You know, I've had so many members that have said to me over the years, I just don't really believe it exists. Does it really exist? And yes, it does. You mean true love? Um, Is that what they're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really not believing in it. They don't believe that healthy relationships can actually happen. But there is enough spark of desire that they've still walked through my door and joined up. So they do on some level believe in it, but they're struggling to find good role models to, to really grab onto, which is why I'm looking at a new service in, in the year, during the year of um, having our past couples attend our events as proof of the pudding. If here's some lovely relationships going on, you know, it happens. It does happen. It does exist. I think I've diverted a little bit, haven't I, from from the topic here? We'll wrap up soon, but let's get back to this poor, undateable person. (laughs) Okay. If you're listening today and you do feel like this is an area where why aren't I meeting someone? Why? I've been looking for years now. I've been to all the parties. Maybe there's something wrong with you. So what advice are we going to give Jane? Okay, we're going to look at judgment. All right, we're going to look at how you're ruling everybody out. You know, oh, no, I wouldn't want to go out with that guy. He, I don't like the color of his suit. And, you know, you can laugh at that, but I hear that sort of stuff all the time. Oh, I wouldn't want to date her. She's got a silly laugh. Well, she's got a silly laugh because she's really nervous. You know, you've got to start cutting people some slack and not judging them, ruling them in or ruling them out before they've even been given a chance. And so leave the judgment at the door and start to connect from kindness and see that you can gather evidence that there are good people out there. Because basically what's happened with the undateable is they've gathered evidence that nobody out there is worthy of them. And what we want to do is get you to switch your thinking that there are plenty of beautiful, worthy people out there and start to focus on it. So you create your own reality by what your disciplined mind is focusing on. So as you said, if you walk into a room and you go, oh, nobody here from me after a quick 30-second scan, well, that's just gathering more evidence that there's nobody out there. And I'm here to say that's rubbish. It's time for you to get over ourselves a bit, don't we, Jane? It's that sort of idea of just get past your own stuff. And yes, you're going to have to throw yourself out there. And again, this applies to a lot of different scenarios in life. Feel the fear and do it anyway. You're going to have to jump off that cliff, put yourself out there, put yourself into a slightly uncomfortable position, maybe put yourself in the limelight, do whatever it's going to take to step outside the comfort zone a little bit. Yes, you could be risking pain. You could be risking hurt. You could be risking failure, rejection or abandonment or any of those, you know, primal fears and pains that we've all experienced or dread experiencing. But look at the flip side. Isn't it a worthy gamble? Isn't it worth the risk to see what you could get, which by far would outweigh any of those negative consequences. I'm talking about, you know, amazing new relationships, knowledge, experiences, passion, you know, ecstasy even, tantric sex, whatever you want to experience. You could you could have, you know, a new amazing partner, um, the father that your children never had. You know, you, you could have things coming your way that you could never have dreamed, but you've got to put yourself out there and get past your fears in order to, you know, to open yourself up to those possibilities. 
That is beautiful. I love it. You know, ask yourself, what fear, what is it I am protecting myself from? What is it? Dig out the answer to that and look at it and recognize you can't protect yourself from that. This is living. This is, this is the way to live a rich, full, successful, exciting life. So feel the fear. Do it anyway. To get what you've never had, you've got to do what you've never done. All of those wonderful sayings, just get out there and do it. All right, we're going to wrap up for today. If you'd like some more information, you can always jump on Google and find us through James Love Shack or Rebecca Detman. Um, please stick, uh, stay tuned to the Wellness Couch for many more podcasts we've got to come on love, relationships, life purpose. Thank you so much for listening. I've had fun with you, Jane. I've had a fabulous time. Thank you so much. It's wonderful. All right, we'll speak to you all next week. Goodbye. Bye. Life is perfect. I'm not trying. It's just happening. It's a beautiful day.